Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of his faithful people. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with tambourine and harp. For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. Let his faithful people rejoice in this honor and sing for joy on their beds. May the praise of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands to inflict vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with fetters, their nobles with shackles of iron, to carry out the sentence written against them. This is the glory of all his faithful people. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Simon. And uh, let's pray together now and ask God to help us to grasp this psalm together. Uh, Father, that's got uh, quite a range of things. Some things we're thinking, well, it much like that very much, and other bits which are absolutely wonderful. So we pray, Father, you help us to understand this rightly and then to apply it wisely and enthusiastically to our lives individually and as a church, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. So Psalm 149 and uh, page 633. If we'd have the PowerPoint up, Stuart, that'd be great. Here we are. Excellent. So Psalm 149. Now, are you fed up with drones? I mean, I'm not talking so much about Gatwick, but it's the inevitable drone shot that you get with almost every TV uh, documentary. Uh, even estate agents are doing it. So you have to have a drone at your wedding, don't you, the photographer and so on. Uh, in fact, frankly, you can't get away from them. And uh, I don't know about you, but I think the novelty of the drone is just about worn off by now, and it's time for something different. Uh, time for something different, that is, after tonight, if that's okay. Uh, because I want one last drone shot And the one last drone shot I want is Psalm 149, because this is a drone shot. Now, what I mean by that is this. It's the big picture. Psalm 149 goes from horizon to horizon. It's going from the beginning or before the beginning, and it's going to the end and beyond the end. Uh, It's seeing as far as you can see one way, and then it's turning around and looking as far as you can see the other way. And uh, I've called this evening's sermon... Praise God, praise God for the final victory. And uh, it may not look like it immediately when you look at this, but I think this is the main thrust of what this psalm is about. Because while it looks back to uh, the far horizon in the past, it's really focusing and looking forward to our far horizon in the future. So, for instance, look at verse 1. Praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song. Now, this please, this is not, let me make this clear, this is not an invitation to write new worship songs. 
you may be relieved. And uh, But we're going to see this is a, a new song because of God's great victory. And he's inviting a new song here because it's the great victory that we're looking forward to of God's great and wonderful and final victory at the end of time. When all evil and all pain and all suffering and all rebellion is completely removed from the universe. So what he's saying in verse 1 is, uh, sing to the Lord a new song. That is a new song for the new creation. In fact, someone's written, in fact it was Spurgeon, I'm always quoting him, mainly because he is the guy who's written what I could think, reckon is the most comprehensive and the best commentary on the Psalms. And he said this, this Psalm is evidently intended for the new creation. So when Jesus returns, for instance, we can all sing Psalm 149. Because then when Jesus returns, we will really understand it. Because then when Jesus returns, not only will we really understand it, but it seems to me we're really going to mean it. And we will be genuinely there and fully and completely praising God for the final victory. But what is praise? I looked it up actually in the concise Oxford Dictionary, which of course is the uh, final authority on Christian matters. And uh, and it said this, uh, praise is to express admiration or warm approval. And I would want to add adoration to that in a Christian context. To express admiration, approval, adoration to our great God. And this psalm begins and ends, as I hope you know by now, these hallelujah psalms, with the words praise the Lord, which in the original uh, is hallelujah. This command to praise God, especially for the final victory. So let's look at this in more detail. And first point is this, praise him with God's people. So we look at verse 1, for instance, and verse 3. Look at verse 1. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of his faithful people. Now, it's pretty obvious. There are three times here, and this is the greatest concentration of this particular phrase of his faithful people. It's never so concentrated in any of the other Psalms. So here, you've got his faithful people in verse 1. You've got his faithful people in verse 5. You've got his faithful people in verse 9. And there are various other references to God people, for instance the people of Zion in verse 2, his people in verse 4 and so on. Now, his faithful people, it's not just that it's kind of concentrated here, but it's a very special phrase, and it's rare. And it means this, it means those who've received God's covenant love, God's unrelieved commitment to his people, his uh, his, uh, uh, nailed down commitment to us. And those who love this covenant God in return. It speaks of God's loving commitment to us. So when we see his faithful people, when it says that, the assembly of his faithful people, it's thinking particularly of a, of a people who are faithful to God because we know that God is faithful to us and will be through all times until we reach eternity. And uh, uh, and it speaks to that wonderful, wonderful God who will get us to heaven at the end of days. And, he, and it refers here to this uh, covenant people, this faithful covenant people who assemble. Look at verse 1 there. Now, we spoke a couple of weeks back about God gathering his people. And he's done it again tonight. 
Here we are. We're gathered. God has gathered us here tonight. And uh, uh, it's not the only reason that we come is verse 1, to sing a Lord a new song, to sing his praise and so on. Uh, we want to learn. We want to pray. Catherine just led us in our prayers tonight. hope you prayed along with her. And, uh, uh, and we meet together to help and to encourage one another. But also, look at verse 1, we do want to sing. And we do. And we do want to sing, don't we, as God's people here? So uh, uh, verses 1 to 4 could actually be on the lips of a worship leader or the leader of the service. And uh, Trevor could have uh, used verses 1 to 4 at the beginning of the service, or we could use it at the beginning of any service here. And, uh, uh, and it's, it's, this is a great thing. It's, I've, read, I've read this again this week. It says this, If a man does not leap or play or sing at any rate, he praises God and wishes for a thousand tongues with which to magnify his Savior. Which is why we are going to sing, oh, for a thousand tongues when I sit down uh, in a little while. And also, God should have all the praise that we can, that can possibly come from our hearts. So, two things. First, do take singing seriously. So, for instance, if you're in a band, you've got to practice. You must. It's essential. No practice, no play. We've got to practice. But we've all got to take it seriously. And so, uh, uh, and so we all um, need to take that singing seriously and sing from our hearts. And if we really mean it, and if we uh, praise God, and often, not always, but often... It's going to be loud. But for instance, there was a song this morning, asked if we could sing it quietly, because it was more appropriate. But you know something about singing loudly? The best way of singing loudly and encouraging one another is to sit together. So if we're splattered across the church building, if there's a, you know, if there are two or three chairs vacant next door to you, we will not sing as well as if we were all sitting together. Fact. Okay, so when you come into church, if you intend to sing God's praises and to do it as well as you can, sit next door to someone, please. Okay, I know you may not, you know, get on or everything, but just sit next door to them, and you'll find that actually you'll you'll be really encouraged by them. Okay, so we've got to sit together and not uh, not have any gaps. That probably means coming further forward. Okay, it's a good thing to do. It's actually that is a, I think that's a right application of this passage. Don't have a spare chair next door to you, okay, if you can possibly avoid it. And uh, uh, so we want to sit together. We want to sit together. Uh, And the other application of this, of course, uh, um, uh, if we're not here, we can't do it. Well, obviously, if we're not here, we can't do it. And uh, so I just want to encourage you to be here. Uh, None of us will be here every week. Next Sunday, we'll be away. Uh, Next Sunday, we'll be praising God with... uh, uh, I found a couple of churches we may go to near the place where we're staying up in North Yorkshire. Uh, and we'll be with them next Sunday because we're away on holiday with the family. But when you're home, do come. And what do you think God thinks of us? Look at verse 4. For the Lord takes delight in his people. Isn't that wonderful? And we delight in him by return. When I was a small boy, uh, we had a dog, a cocker spaniel by the name of Mandy. 
Don't ask me why. Uh, anyway, when we went on holiday, uh, sometimes Mandy would come with us, sometimes she'd go to the kennels. And then when we got back, the best thing about coming, getting home was when my dad and I would go and collect her from the kennels. Because uh, sometimes my sister came as well. Um, but uh, So there'd be two or three of us in the car. The kennels were about a 15-minute drive away, and then a 15-minute t- drive home with a dog who was just uncontrollably delighted to see her. She was bouncing around the car, jumping up and down, tail, what tail she had, uh, wagging furiously and uh, licking us and doing all the rest of it, probably slightly uh, uh, relieving herself as well. And, uh, uh, but, you know, uncontrolled delight. And then when we got home, it happened all over again. Just wonderful. Now, I'm not suggesting that God is uh, bouncing around in an uncontrolled frenzy like Mandy used to do, but he does delight in us. He delights in you, and he delights in us meeting together. So if you're feeling down, or depressed, or despairing, or worried, remember God delights in you, and he delights in us. Oh, and also, just a word about verse 3. Let them praise his name with dancing, and make music to him with tambourine and harp. I just want to say that's not a command that we just take and then must apply now. Otherwise, we'll all be jumping around and dancing and all the rest of it. And, uh, uh, and if it was, then we would only use a tambourine and a harp to lead the music, wouldn't we? Uh, it is a cultural thing. That's how they did things then. And this is how we do things now. But remember, in our praising of God, we do express our admiration and our approval and our adoration. And uh, we do that from our hearts uh, and in the way that best suits your personality. Give yourself to it. It's a great thing to do. And God delights when his people praise him. It's what we're born for. It's what we're reborn for. Second main point is this, and uh, this is just a brief one, but uh, we praise God from beginning to end, our maker and our king. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Um, uh, remember, it's a drone shot. Look at verse 2, for instance. Let Israel rejoice in their maker, their maker, right from the beginning. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. Far horizons in the past, our creation Uh, Again, Spurgeon uh, said this, uh, you must never pause from his praise whose infinite love has made you what you are. But you see, he's not just our maker, God is also our king. The king who is the king over all and over all time and eternity. No limits to his kingship. He is our king from beginning to end. He is our maker our maker king from beginning to end, from horizon to horizon, from creation to new creation, from heaven and earth to new heaven and earth. And we praise our God and we will praise him for all eternity. That's the business of God's faithful people, the business of God's faithful covenant people who are worshipping their faithful covenant gods. Because we know, because of God's love for us, because of his binding, faithful, committed, covenant love for us, however tough things are now, 
Whatever we have to go through now, God will see us through to the new creation. So praise him tonight. From beginning to end, our maker and our king. Third, praise him for the victory. Praise him for the victory. That's in verses 4 and 5. Now, when you look at the history of God's people, um, and you look at verses 4 and 5 here, you think, well, the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. But then when you look at the history of God's people, he didn't do that all the time, did he? The history of God's people is victory, victory, defeat, victory, defeat, 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 victory, defeat, victory, defeat, disaster, exile, victory, disaster, silence. So it's a whole variety, a range of things, isn't it? So you can't say that applies to God's people all the time, can you? In fact, you can only truly say Psalm 149 with consistency when Jesus embodies all that Israel is called to be. So, At the end of verse 4 and verse 5. Look at the end of verse 4. So the end of verse 4, he crowns the humble with victory. Now victory could easily well, the word victory, could easily well be translated salvation. Salvation. So uh, uh, in the authorised, the old thee and thou, the authorised version, it says this. He shall beautify the meek with salvation. Now, keep that in your minds and look at the end of verse 5. And sing for joy on their beds. Now, this could be bed tucked up at night, sleep well, night, night, darling, that sort of thing. But actually, it could equally well be a couch, not a bed. In fact, the kind of couch that you would lay back on and recline when you were at a great banquet celebration in the way that they used to do in those days. In fact, a victory Banquet. So I think it makes more sense here in terms of seeing this fulfilled, verses 4 and 5, at the cross. For he crowns the humble with victory. The humble, that is, Jesus. Winning the great victory at the cross and us counted as his because the Lord takes delight in his people and it's an honour we rejoice in and we sing for joy at the victory banquet because of the cross of Christ and our taking part in that we sing for joy at the victory banquet that will take place in eternity in heaven, where Jesus' victory finally becomes our victory. And when we humbly put our trust in him. You see, Psalm 149 can only fully and completely and finally happen in Jesus. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection. And when you see this in the light of the cross, in the light of heaven... And the great victory celebration that we will be part of for all eternity. It is simply breathtaking. A little later we're going to have communion. We're going to remember 
the cross. We're going to remember Jesus' victory. He crowns the humble with victory. And you can't get more humble than being crucified. And he crowns the humble with victory. So when we take communion, thank God, praise God for the cross of Jesus Christ. For the victory of Jesus Christ. And the honor that we have in sharing that. And when you receive the bread and the wine, you may just want to say, Hallelujah. So we praise God for the victory. And then, and finally, we praise God for the final victory in verses 6 to 9. Now, this is the difficult stuff, it looks to me, doesn't it? Um, It has been used as justification for kind of holy wars and inverted commas, things like crusades. The Roman Catholics uh, use this as uh, justification for 30 years religious war. Uh, Protestants have done it too after the Reformation when the extremely keen guys decided to take swords and so on. Um, God's people in the Old Testament were from time to time commanded to take the sword. But we're not. This is not a justification for Christian people to take the sword. In other words, to act in violence against those who disagree with us. This is not, and it never has been since Jesus walked the earth, a command for us to resort to violence, to make other people believe what we do. Our double-edged sword, look at verse 6, may the praise of God be in their mouths and the double-edged sword in their hands. I believe our double-edged sword is actually the word of God. In fact, That's how the word of God is referred to in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, if you're uh, taking notes. It's how it's described in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 16, a double-edged sword coming from Jesus' mouth. Someone said, the word of God is all edge. Whichever way you turn it, it strikes deadly blows at falsehood and wickedness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4, it says this, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they, that is our weapons, have divine power to destroy strongholds. So verse 6, it is talking about the praise of God and the word of God. And what happens is this. It's as we praise God... And as we uh, have the word of God, as we speak God's word, as we understand God's word, as we hear God's word, as we do what we're doing now, this evening, praising God and hearing the word of God. What happens is that when people refuse to listen, when they refuse to repent, when they refuse to respond to the praise of God's people, when they refuse to respond to the word of God which is spoken to them, then God's judgment is revealed from heaven. So, for instance, at a church service, uh, this is a divisive event we're taking part in. Because we, God's people, sing his praises with great joy and commitment in our hearts. The word of God is preached. And you can join in the praising of God and you can respond with humility to the preaching of God's word. 
Or you can refuse to join in with the praising of God and you can refuse to listen or perhaps even mock the, the preaching of God's words. So if you're in that latter category, you're actually opening yourself up to the judgment of God's. Sometimes there are elements of that in life now. But this passage actually talks about it being completed when Jesus returns on judgment day. You see, our simple acts of praise and obedience to the living God actually reveal the judgment of God on those who don't or won't do it. That's what I think verses 7 to 9 is about. Which makes this all rather serious, doesn't it? So where do you stand? Are you a praiser? Because you need to be. And that's the fourth point. Praise God for the final victory. It is, uh, it's another drone shot, isn't it? It's that far future horizon. Because the sentence, look at verse 9, to carry out the sentence written against them, this is the glory of all his faithful people. That will be completed on that far horizon when Jesus returns. So we praise him for that final victory. There is a judgment day. There is a day of punishment, it says here in verse 7. There is the day of the sentence being carried out in verse 9. And it will happen when Jesus returns to this earth. When those who are his, his faithful people, his covenant people, will be taken to be with him for all eternity. What a huge and wonderful comfort for us. And also those who are not will be separated from him for all eternity. And that tragically is hell. Because on that day, that glorious day, when Jesus returns, all evil and rebellion and wrongdoing, all pain, suffering, and tears, and separation, and all anguish, and frustration, and despair, and illness, and desperation, will be removed from existence forever. That is the final victory. That is because of the cross which we remember tonight in our communion as we take communion. And it is the glory, as it says at the end of verse 9, of all his faithful people. Not that we rejoice with glee and gloating, of course not. None of that. But it is the glory of God which will be seen in us, in heaven, in you and me, that he's got us there, to heaven. 
That evil in the universe is finally and fully eradicated. And God's promises, his gospel promises, are seen to be true and perfectly fulfilled. As we praise God for the final victory. As the psalmist says, hallelujah.